Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, the Burger Chef murders. But first, your true crime headlines. Amy Cooper, the white woman who called the police on a black man who was birdwatching in Central Park, is being charged with falsely reporting an incident in the third degree, according to the Manhattan District Attorney. Miss Cooper called the police after she encountered Christian Cooper, no relation, in a wooded area of the park known as the Ramble, which is very popular with bird watchers. Miss Cooper was walking her dog without a leash in violation of the Ramble's rules, and when Mr. Cooper asked her to leash her dog, she refused. Mr. Cooper recorded a portion of the ensuing argument in which Miss Cooper calls the police to tell them that an African-American man is threatening her life. The video has been viewed more than 5 million times. Ms. Cooper was fired from her job as a result of the incident. Now she also faces misdemeanor charges that carry a possible one-year jail sentence. She is scheduled to be arraigned in October. Partial human remains found near the Leon River in Texas have been identified as those of Vanessa Guillen, the 20-year-old soldier who went missing from the Army base at Fort Hood in April. Before she went missing, Guillen had confided in family members that she was being sexually harassed by another soldier, who they now believe was 20-year-old Aaron David Robinson. After Guillen's remains were found, Robinson fled the base and then died by suicide as officers closed in on him. Police believe that he bludgeoned Vanessa to death with a hammer from the armory where she worked, and then transported her body off the base in a large trunk. Cell phone records place Robinson along the banks of the river on multiple occasions after Guillen's disappearance, along with another woman, 22-year-old Cecily Ann Aguilar. Aguilar, who was reportedly Robinson's girlfriend, is in federal custody, charged with conspiracy to tamper with evidence for her alleged role in helping to dispose of the murdered soldier's body. According to the criminal complaint against her, Aguilar helped Robinson dismember and attempt to burn Guillen's body before burying her remains and covering them with concrete. A judge set her preliminary hearing for July 14th, and she faces up to 20 years in federal prison and a maximum $250,000 fine if convicted. Vanessa Guillen's family has called for a congressional investigation into her death, and nearly 100 lawmakers have also asked for an independent review of Fort Hood's handling of her disappearance. A 39-year-old Florida man was arrested in Vancouver, Washington, where he was attempting to make contact with a 14-year-old girl he had been grooming online for several months. The man, Samuel Aaron Leonard, of Newport Ritchie, Florida, had been posing as a 20-year-old in his communication with the girl. After police learned of the communication, they assumed the girl's identity online as they investigated Leonard. In one of their online chats, Leonard revealed that he had traveled to Vancouver so that he could meet with the girl. He told her that he purchased a cell phone for her so that they could talk in secret, and police arrested him when he arrived at the girl's house on a bicycle to drop off a package containing the cell phone, candy, and a love letter. At the time of his arrest, Leonard had three cell phones in his possession, which contained sexually explicit chats and numerous images depicting child pornography. 
A subsequent search of Leonard's hotel room in Vancouver uncovered what investigators referred to as a, quote, kidnapper's kit, containing a 45 caliber handgun and ammunition, handcuffs, duct tape, rubber gloves, a blindfold, and several large knives. Leonard was charged with communication with a minor for immoral purposes, first-degree possession of child pornography, first-degree dealing of child pornography, and sexual exploitation of a minor. Police believe that he was communicating with numerous other underage victims all over the country, and their investigation is ongoing. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, the Burger Chef murders. But first, a quick break. Everyone has a story to share. And if you're like me, you live to create, but you don't live to worry over the last nitpicky details involved in putting the final touches on content. Remove the complexity with Issue. Issue makes content look amazing wherever you post, exactly how you envisioned it. And Issue makes it easy. They save me hours of reformatting. With Issue, I can create it once and distribute it everywhere. I just upload my PDF content and files, and Issue converts and reformats it to look perfect on my website, Instagram, Facebook page, and more. They can even help you make animated Instagram stories. Plus, you can reach a wider audience when you publish on Issue.com. This is more than a traditional digital publishing platform. It's a community of content creators. So whether you're a pro marketer, a publisher, or just trying to level up your website and social media, Issue is the platform that can help you take it to the next level. And best of all, it's free to get started with Issue. Just go to issue.info slash murderminute to set up your free account. That's I-S-S-U-U dot info slash murderminute to sign up and let them know that you heard about it from our show. Remember, that's dot info, not dot com. Do what you do best and let Issue handle the rest. Go to issue.info slash murderminute to set up your free account today. In difficult times, it can be difficult to cope. If you're struggling with issues like stress and anxiety, depression, isolation, or general life challenges, and you've been thinking about talking to someone, it's time to get BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist so that you can start communicating in under 24 hours. There is a broad range of expertise available, and BetterHelp is available for clients worldwide. Just log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so that you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you need to. Plus, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. 
Like this review, written by a BetterHelp user after two weeks of counseling with Linda Patrick. Linda is great at listening to my concerns and giving me outlets and ideas to solve my challenges. It's great to have someone in your corner while coaching you to your full potential. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MurderMinute today. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P and join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Murder Minute listeners get 10% off their first month when they visit betterhelp.com slash murderminute. Welcome back to Murder Minute. At around 11 p.m., on the night of November 17, 1978, four young employees at the Burger Chef in Speedway, Indiana, closed up shop and disappeared. They were 20-year-old assistant manager Jane Fried, 18-year-old Ruth Ellen Shelton, 16-year-old Daniel Davis, and 16-year-old Mark Flemons. At midnight, a fellow off-duty employee came to visit his co-workers. Instead, he found the scene of a burglary. The restaurant's back door was wide open, and so was the safe. $500 was missing, equivalent to around $2,000 today. When police arrived, they found two empty currency bags, but no sign of a struggle. Their conclusion was that this was most likely a case of petty employee embezzlement, despite the fact that the purses of the two girls working that night had been left behind, along with their coats, in November. Their theory was that the employees had taken the money and gone out partying. The police called the manager to lock up and left without taking pictures or evidence of any kind. Police on the scene expected the kids to turn up by morning. They were wrong. We screwed it up from the beginning, Officer Buddy Elwanger would later admit. On the following morning, Saturday, November 18th, Burger Chef opened as usual. Employees arrived for their early shift and began cleaning and prepping the restaurant oblivious that they were destroying the evidence at a crime scene of what was about to become a murder investigation. They didn't process it as a murder. They didn't know it was a murder, recalled Virgil Vandegriff, a detective from the Marion County Sheriff's Department at the time. Police didn't have a clue what was going on in the restaurant. They kind of messed up the crime scene. On Saturday morning, the four employees were still missing, and soon police discovered Jane's abandoned Vega just blocks from the Speedway Police Department. Then, on November 19th, in Johnson County, two days after their disappearance and 20 miles away from Burger Chef, a couple discovered the bodies of the four teenagers, scattered in the woods, still wearing their uniforms. Face down 
and side by side just off a gravel path lay the bodies of 20-year-old Ruth Shelton and 17-year-old Danny Davis. They had been shot multiple times in the head, neck, and shoulders by a 38 caliber handgun. 50 to 75 yards away lay the body of 20-year-old Jane Fright. She had been stabbed twice in the heart, so violently that the knife's blade broke off inside her chest. 16-year-old Mark Flemons was farthest away from the others and closest to the main road. He was found on his back near a creek. He'd been beaten around the face, possibly with a chain, and left to choke on his own blood. Following the discovery of the bodies, dozens of law enforcement officers from multiple agencies crowded the crime scene. One officer described it as, quote, too many chiefs and not enough Indians. Crucial evidence, like the employees' uniforms, were mishandled, Tom Davidson, an early investigator, told Insider. And in an attempt to cover their incompetent negligence, Speedway police returned to the restaurant and staged crime scene photos after the fact. The investigation was botched from the start. On Monday, November 20th, in response to the murders of the four employees, Burger Chef closed the restaurant and held a press conference at the Speedway location. They offered the public a $25,000 reward for any clues that could lead to an arrest. Steak and Shake added another $1,000 to the fund, $26,000, equivalent to over $100,000 today. The reward went unclaimed. One 16-year-old eyewitness told police that he had been in the parking lot on the night of November 17th, and around 10 p.m. saw two white men sitting in a car outside of Burger Chef, one fair-haired and the other with a beard. Police called in a sketch artist and released the images to the public. When they failed to attract new leads, they had models of the suspects sculpted in clay. When a report came in that a man in a Greenwood bar was heard bragging that he had been involved in the murders, police brought him in for questioning. He passed a polygraph. The man said that he wasn't involved, but gave police the names of others who he claimed belonged to a fast food robbery gang some of whom fit the description of the two men seen in the parking lot by the 16-year-old boy and had been arrested for other similar robberies. But without direct physical evidence linking them to the murders, the police were unable to effect an arrest. Months passed. Leads dried up. The murders disappeared from the headlines. And Speedway police relinquished the case to the state police. 
The following year, the town fired Speedway Police Chief Robert Copeland. But the case remained open. Then, on March 5, 1981, an undercover Indianapolis police officer and an agent with the Drug Enforcement Administration arrested 30-year-old cocaine dealer James Fried, the brother of Burger Chef victim Jane Fried. The arrest stirred up a theory among law enforcement and the press that Jane had been targeted by the killers in retaliation against her brother. James denied having anything to do with his sister's murder, and with no evidence, was cleared within a week. Later that spring, a prison counselor at the Marion County Jail called former state troopers Jim Kramer and Donovan Lindsay, the only two officers working on the Burger Chef case at the time. James Fried and a 24-year-old inmate, Alan Pruitt, had been in a jail yard fight. It began with Pruitt taunting him, offering his condolences. Sorry about your sister. Pruitt told officers that he had been there that night on November 17, 1978. He claimed that he was drunk at the Dunkin' Donuts next door when he witnessed two men abduct the four victims in Jane's white Vega and an orange van, slamming Mark Fleming's face into the side of the van in the process. Despite this, Pruitt said, he assumed that the men, who he identified as Tim Willoughby and Jeff Reed, were just heading out to party. Pruitt said he didn't understand what he saw until the next day. He told police that on that day, he was playing frisbee outside of a Dairy Queen when the two men pulled up next to him in the orange van. They offered him a joint, he said, and he climbed into the van. When he got in the back, he found Marianne Higginbotham, Willoughby's girlfriend. Pruitt thought she seemed high. According to Pruitt, as they drove, passing the joint, Willoughby and Reed asked Pruitt what he saw outside the burger chef the night before. It was only then that Pruitt realized that they'd seen him, too. Marianne told Pruitt that Willoughby and Reed had murdered the burger chef employees and now they would kill her to keep her quiet. Pruitt said that he hadn't even heard that the employees were missing. According to Pruitt, Reed drove the van down an isolated dirt and gravel road known as the Devil's Backbone, pulled over just before a bridge at Deer Creek, and everyone got out. They're going to kill you too, Marianne warned Pruitt. She looked at him and told him to run. So he did. Pruitt told the officers that he didn't look back when he heard the gunshot. He slid down the embankment, ran through the creek, made his way to a road, and eventually hitchhiked home. Marianne's body had been discovered stuffed in a barrel in a creek in 1979, and no trace of her boyfriend Willoughby, who was wanted on multiple warrants, was ever found. 
To investigators, Pruitt's story seemed plausible. But over the years, it unraveled, Pruitt changing his story multiple times. In a recent interview with Insider, Pruitt admitted that the incident at Devil's Backbone never happened. He now claims that he saw a van on the night of the abductions, but not the four victims, Willoughby or Reed. I did lie to cops one time about some stuff because they really pissed me off. They just started bugging me and hounding me and pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, Pruitt said. I just got to the point I finally just started telling them anything they wanted to hear. If I knew who killed them kids, don't think for a split second that I wouldn't rat them out, because I would. In 1984, Detective Mel Wilsey of the Marion County Sheriff's Department received a call. Donald Forrester, a convicted rapist serving time at the Pendleton Correctional Facility, said that he was involved in the murders and was willing to confess in order to avoid being transferred to the infamous Indiana State Prison. Wilsey had him transferred to Marion County, where he confessed to shooting Davis and Shelton. And Forrester's confession had some familiar elements. He told the police that he was involved with the drug gang. Jane Fried's brother James owed money on a drug deal. So Forrester and three other associates went to the burger chef to threaten her. When he and his accomplices rushed to the restaurant's back door, Mark tried to, quote, play hero. A fight broke out, during which Mark fell and hit his head on the bumper of a car. Forrester and his accomplices nearly beat him to death. Believing that Mark was dead or dying, Forrester and his accomplices decided to abduct and kill all of the employees to eliminate the witnesses to their crime. They were bound and forced into a waiting van. They were all begging, he said. That night in the woods, Forrester said he popped some Demerols and shot Ruth in the face. Forrester led police to those woods and to where he claimed that he threw the gun into the river. A thorough search of the river, however, failed to recover any weapon. Undeterred, Detective Wilsey's next stop was Forrester's ex-wife, who said during her interview that in the days following the murders, Forrester had driven with her out to a wooded area. She stayed in the car, and Forrester got out to collect several firearm shell casings strewn across the ground. When they got back home, she said, he flushed the casings down the toilet. The Forrester home now had new residents, so Wilsey got a warrant. A search of the septic tank turned up several spent 38 caliber shell casings. Detective Wilsey was convinced. After a length of time, it just seemed like for sure it was the right guy, Wilsey told Insider. 
He knew a lot of things that weren't public. But not everyone was buying it. He was like any other inmate that's trying to con you, Kramer said. He was just throwing out generalities. And he pointed out there were holes in Forrester's story. Namely, that one of his supposed accomplices was in jail in Minnesota on the night of the murders. Forrester ultimately recanted his confession, claiming that it was coerced and was never charged for the Burger Chef murders. He died in prison from cancer in 2006. No suspects were ever charged for the Burger Chef murders. Now, decades later, many of the suspects and the investigators have passed away. But Indiana State Police continue to hold the case open. At a news conference in November of 2018, four decades after the murders, police unveiled a photo of the four-and-a-half-inch blade that was pulled from Jane Fried's chest. They hope that it may jog someone's memory. Our commitment stands. We'll continue to address this issue. Indiana State Police Superintendent Doug Carter said. We can send a message here. We are not going to stop. Ruth Shelton's sister, Teresa Jeffries, stood with state police officers and expressed confidence that advances in forensics may help crack the case. Technology is wonderful, she said, and I hope before my time comes that we have answers. I believe that there's always a chance, unless you don't try. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app or follow us on Instagram at Murder Minute.